In a sector like automotive design, where development of a single model can take half a decade, is there anything more important than the art and science of designing for the future? Living in the now is a global ethos we've readily adopted in recent years. But does it help or hinder designers and engineers? How do they balance being conscious of current trends while predicting what will be important next? In episode two, Designing for the Future, we're talking to the new Ghost design team. We'll uncover how they explore the future and what influences hold sway over the creative decisions. We'll also discuss the forward-looking considerations that were involved in rebuilding an icon like Ghost from the ground up. I'm Johanna Argemann-Ross, design editor and curator, and this is Ghost Stories. Let's meet the new Ghost lead interior designer, Chris Duff. Chris started his automotive career aged five as he stared into the window of a supercar garage in Manchester, which coincidentally is also where Henry Royce made his first car in 1904. Chris describes that moment like looking at a spaceship. After completing an MA in transportation design at Sweden's Umeå University, Chris was working at a design agency when he met a Rolls-Royce connection and made quite the impression. So I came down to Rolls-Royce, um, drove down in my old 106 Peugeot diesel with a leaky sunroof that when you actually press the switch to demiss the rear window, the radio made this sound. And I had to drive into Rolls-Royce Goodwood. And for those that haven't been to Goodwood, um, best way to describe it is this kind of like beautiful building in the middle of the British countryside and to turn up amongst Rolls-Royces in a Peugeot um, with a cheap suit on was not perhaps the best first impression. However, they liked my work and yeah, I got the job and I actually started on the uh, 19th of September, uh, 2011 on my birthday. And that's how I remember starting at Rolls-Royce. In Rolls-Royce speak, the marriage moment at Goodwood is when the engine meets the car on the production line. What about your own marriage moment? When do you think that the company decided that you were the perfect fit for the design team that would eventually realise the new ghost? Even though it was quite a quick turnaround from showing my portfolio, I was asked to design some hypothetical luggage for Rolls-Royce. What would luggage look like if it was Rolls-Royce luggage? And I had to spend a week doing that. I then future boss, um, he could see I had an appreciation for the brand. You should also get people that aren't quite Rolls-Royce and they challenge the brand, but you have to have the, the appreciation for the brand. Just in general, it's very, very competitive. Though plenty of your role entails digital elements, initial ideas for the future begins with sketches done by hand. What's your instrument of choice? It used to be a, um, a Prismacolor pencil, a specific American, really hard to get Prismacolor pencil. And that kind of made me sketch a certain way in a certain style. So a few years ago, I changed and switched back to pen. And because I use biro pen, I sketch different shapes, which might sound strange, but it's just the way it is. It's the way you hold the actual physical thing itself. It makes you sketch differently. And my process is similar to Henry's, who's the exterior designer, but similar in the sense that he uses a piece of large paper and a huge thick pen, which stops him from being too detailed. I use a post-it note and a small pen, but it's the same effect. With a post-it note, I can't go into all the little details and all of the kind of small nuances. All I can do is describe a theme, the most simplistic, impactful theme I can, because I've only got so much space. And I change the colour of the post-it notes as well. 
it sounds silly again, but a different color, different background. Your brain just switches gears slightly just to sort of change what you were sketching. So you have to change your medium, you change your post-it notes, you change the paper, you change the way, you know, flip the paper around a different way or look a different way. Do you remember what your first post-it sketches for the interior of the new ghost looked like? I went for a phase of everything I had to show people had to be polished. You know, I couldn't show anybody a bad sketch. So those post-it notes sit in the bottom of a drawer somewhere that nobody has ever seen but me. And what I did was give them the slightly more polished version. But the essence of the idea is in those scruffy little post-it notes. Designers always say this about sketching on napkins, but it's true, it's, it's when you've got a phone call, you're drinking a cup of coffee, your brain sometimes seems to detach away from the task and you create something new and interesting. If you overthink it, it never comes. You touch on drawing the essence of the car there, but how is that essence decided on initially? Is it something that's decided by external trends and forces, or is it dictated by the design team themselves? It's up to the role of the designer. Perhaps I can give a, an example of that. When I do a sketch, or I make a rendering of an interior, and I bring colours into it, typically it'll be blue, navy, uh, tan brown, cream, bits of black, chrome. Now, you give that to a colour and trim designer who is so into the world of fashion, they can take it to that next level again. And they'll bring colours that you wouldn't even possibly think of. Then a year afterwards, you actually get used to them and you really, you know, you really appreciate them. But you would never have thought of them. Conversely, I think it's the role of the interior designer and the exterior designer to sort of see those trends in geometry as well. So what's happening in furniture design, what's happening in sculpture, what's happening in the world of art and design. And almost so it saturate yourself with these sort of influences and then subliminally you end up bringing those into your sketches. And in a sense that actually brings the modernity anyway. I suppose I'm not one of those designers that sits, goes through Pinterest, saves images. I believe it's more intrinsic than that. I believe you have to really study and be passionate about it and live and breathe these trends. So when the pen touches the paper, it's already modern, it's already a step beyond. And I, and I truly believe that. And how did you find your inspiration and preparation for the rebuild? You have to get yourself out there. You have to go to the car shows. You have to go to the galleries. Um, because you can only find what you can type into a search engine. New information, I believe, has to come at you when you're not so expecting it. I think if you're looking for inspiration, like cool new products, cool new design, it, it's contrived because everybody's searched that in and everybody's tagged that and they're showing you what everyone, everyone else's idea of cool new design is. You need to go and find something maybe abstract um, and get inspired from this. You can look at some 1950s Americana show cars and okay, it's completely different to a Rolls Royce, but there are things there you can imagine turning around, twisting, pulling sideways, mm, that could work. Or you go to a gallery or you go to a, um, a furniture fair and you think, well, that wouldn't work one-to-one -one in a car, but perhaps there's a backrest and that could influence the steering wheel. That, I, I, I truly believe that's the best way a designer should get inspired. What's one of the more inspirational places you've been to lately? We actually went to visit a museum, a Rolls-Royce museum. It was all sort of turn-of-the-century Rolls-Royces, Phantom Ones. They were all coach-built, so every single one was different. So there was almost like no design language. 
Well, the main point being is that you had to open the door, you know, look inside. And it, because every single one was different, it was like having a hundred different Rolls Royces to take influence from. In terms of designing for the future, how do you think Rolls Royce does things differently? Are certain precautions taken? Or conversely, are any common practices avoided? I would say one of the best things about working for Rolls Royce is that sometimes we can be quite provocative. I'll just give you again a little example. So the drophead coupe, one of our older cars, was literally off of the doors, was a piece of leather, a piece of wood on the door, and a little ashtray, and that was it. And that's all it was. In any other car, you'd feel like you haven't got enough. Because it's Rolls Royce, you accept that that's luxury. Because we're we're kind of telling you, oh no, that's that's as pure as it can be. So when you ask, you know, what what do we throw away, it's kind of We've got confidence in ourselves to keep things super clean and super simple. Perhaps we can go in a little bit more detail as well. When you sit inside a Rolls Royce for the first time, what I got told by a customer once, for a lot of our customers, they have a lot of cars. So when they sit inside a Rolls Royce for the first time, they've got to learn your car. They've got to learn where the volume control is. They've got to learn where the heated seat switch is. They've got to learn how the sat-nav works. It takes a little little bit of time, but if you can simplify it and get the design down to the bare necessities of what it needs to be in the new Ghost, underneath there's a structural layer with the vents and a huge volume control. And it's, it's there, it's clear. If you need to turn the volume up or down, there's a nice clear switch. Below that, we have our iconic heat controls, which simply go warm or cold, not 24.3 degrees, not 26.2, just simply warm or cold. So I believe when you sit in a Rolls Royce for the first time, you're not kind of dazed and confused by all these different switches and buttons. You can quite simply get on with the business of just driving and just embrace the fact that somebody's taken the time to make it as simple as possible. Does that philosophy require you to have extra confidence in your decisions? Yeah, because essentially you you look at the trends and all of the switches. And switches sometimes are a, a way of getting quality into a car because you can make a metal, chrome, bezeled, um, detailed switch, which can enhance an interior, give extra detail. But in the bigger picture, does it actually make it easier to drive? Does it create an ambience? For example, what? do we actually need on the door? We have a a handle, some speakers, and some seat switches, and that's it. And the reason why we're confident in doing that is because it detoxifies the interior. And if you look at New Ghost, all of the details on the door stop short of the fascia by, let's say, 25, 30 centimeters of just pure clean leather before you get to the next surfaces. So when you sit inside the car, There's none of these twisted, complex forms. It's just placed items. Earlier, I mentioned outside influences. And you've got to be confident to say, no, this is not a typical automotive product. This is a Rolls-Royce. It's something different. Who is the new ghost? Rolls-Royce is a company that reveres individualism. So how is a cohesive character defined across departments? And which processes help them frame these ideas? I'm bringing in Sina Maria Egel here. Sina is the talented collar and trim designer who conceived of the car's impactful accents. Along with the rest of the team, she ensured the new ghost design would keep its contemporary edge long into the future. So Sina, 
were the distinct places or moments that informed the new ghost's identity. I think what was particularly important to Ghost was the character workshop that we did. And what usually happens is that all the different departments come together and we meet at a secret location. This time it was London. And we spend about two to three days and then we try to discuss the character. This is happening on very, very different levels because we want to talk about the emotions that the car should have. Is it about confidence? Is it about trust? Amplification maybe. Then the expression that it should have. It is statement of life, optimism. Is it energy that comes with it? We want to talk about exquisite accents or the behavior that comes with the car or that we want a customer to to feel. So These can be really, really heated discussions. And sometimes it's about a single word that has to describe the whole the whole car. And this time it was the obsession. So within those character workshops, who's present? How many people are you? Oh, it's about, oh, I think, 15 to 20 people, designers, communication, um, marketing. Sometimes we meet influencers or we do different trips to to restaurants or um, to stores just to get a feeling of of what that city says to us or what we can gain from it. And everybody, of course, has a different perspective. And this is what makes it so difficult to agree on one particular word that could describe that one character. But obsession seems a very suitable one in this case. I think so, too. We are all pretty obsessed, I think. (laughs) How come London was picked as the base for the workshop this time around? We all thought that London was a really great fit to New Ghost. Of course it is, very, very British. Um, But also we saw all those busy streets. Um, There is a lot of traffic and there are really, really hip people, stylish shops and great restaurants. And there's this incredibly great mix of, of old and new architecture that we really enjoyed. And I think everybody knows that feeling of being in this beautiful city, but then also wanting to retire a little bit and calming down and and detoxing from all this busyness. And are there any details of the new ghost that reflects London particularly? I think you can see London a lot in our new leather colour that we actually adapted from a dog that we saw in London. (laughs) And I don't know if you know those beautiful Weimaranian dogs. They have this beautiful warm shimmer and they really stand out in on the street like when they walk towards you I'm somehow always fascinated by them so we really wanted to express coziness and calmness and wanted to create a really really elegant base that can be combined with all great other colors that we have in our palette. Can you give us some insight into your own process in terms of designing for the future? How did you begin to shape the new ghost identity, effectively from the inside out? So we are a very, very small team. And after those character workshops, we start a lot of internal conversations. And also we do start creating our own mood boards. And then jumping from those mood boards, we do a lot of research on materials. We visit suppliers, we invite them in. And it's all about finding that one material that really expresses everything that you have been desiring and and um, that you've been looking for in, in all of those character descriptions. And one material that we have developed, which is a, actually a huge success, I think, that came from all those discussions and all those mood boards, is our new veneer. 
I know you can't reveal too much at the moment, but can you give us some impression of how it looks? The veneer is absolutely stunning. I have it over here. We were especially inspired by mineral lava stones and their structure. So we love those warm colors that the wood has. It's really linear and incredibly modern. It has very powerful movement within the grain. It is really intriguing and enchanting, but at the same time, I think it relaxes the eyes and harmonizes beautifully with our new and existing leather and exterior paint palette. You spoke earlier about the mood board and certain material influences that inspired the final aesthetic. What else found its way onto your mood board? So usually what is on my mood board, I always start, and I don't know why I do it, but I always start with nine significant pictures. And I need exactly nine. I don't know why. It's just a thing of mine. But what I have is architecture, interior design, fashion. It can be light. It is people in action and their expression, color tonalities, first material choices, and also locations all over the world where I can see the car driving around. When we all agree, after every loop that we go through, we always go back to the core mood board to double check if we are still on the right track. You know, you can be really distracted by all the discussions you have all day long, all the issues and emails and flights that you have to catch. But you have to check in with yourself if you still get the idea of the core mood board and if you can still feel the whole vibe that it expresses. We are incredibly proud of all the material results that we can see today because all the ghost materials embody the purity and the calmness, the timelessness and the effortless elegance that were on that core mood board. And we really wanted to reflect on the brilliance of minimalism, the preciseness, clarity and the detox. So the mood board is really quite influential and inspiring throughout the process. It doesn't just set the vignette at the beginning of it. It actually follows you all the way through. It follows you all the way through. So what I also think is quite important is after checking in with the mood boards, you have to be really, really honest with yourself. Sometimes you get materials back from a loop of development and it would be very easy to just accept what you see. It would be easy for me, (laughs) but it would be easy for a lot of other people within the company. But you have to look yourself deep in the eyes and and question if you do really like the result and then do the extra mile if necessary because you just you just can't feel the result that you have in front of you. The rebuild has been a five year long project. How did the Rolls Royce office environment empower you, Chris and the other designers to sustain such intense creative focus for so long? We are a really tiny team and that means that we, everybody knows what everybody is working on and we do inspire each other and we tell each other about new ideas and new trends and new things to, to see or locations to go to. It feels like each Rolls-Royce designer has their own route into the future. In your own work, how do the global zeitgeist shape the new ghost's presence? We wanted to reduce the interior to this absolute beautiful minimalism And the less you cover up with unnecessary distraction, the more you have to strive for perfection. So every design we do for every model, of course, is bringing us a little bit forward. But with Ghost, I think what we wanted to create is this awareness of stress and relaxation and giving you the space and time to retreat and to recharge. Rolls-Royce has always made audacious choices that issue external pressures and mainstream trends in favor of excellence and vision. But trends are reliable signifiers of cultural change. 
So how does Rolls-Royce stay true to its own values while addressing the way in which the world is moving? Here's exterior designer Henry Cloak, who works closely with Sina and Chris. If somebody buys a Rolls-Royce, they expect it to look good for a long time. Um, And also we build the cars to last a really long time. So it's not like we want it to be a seasonal, trendy object, but it should be of its time and it should be done in such a way that hopefully it remains timeless. We can now produce things to be more and more precise and actually in the form language, as we call it, so how you put the surfaces of a car together, we want to show that precision. So where the panels touch each other, we try and make the edges more precise and we try and make the gaps between the panels. So where a door meets another door, we try and make these gaps ever smaller. So your your feeling is that you read it more like one large yeah, seamless sculpture. It's an ability that we're getting better and better at and obviously we want to show that. How do you as a designer consider the future at the point of that research process? Because you're having to project yourself five, ten years into the future, how something like this is going to be able to find an audience and an interest at the time of launch. Yeah, I think for us it's it's one you don't have to project yourself five years in the future, but you have to project the customer, say, five years in the future. So there are people within the company that, say, look at all of the technology trends or the things of, okay, what type of charging should be in the car for my phone. But I think for us as a designers, we look on the more personal side of it. And some of these actually, these don't change so much. So it might be that someone is always going to buy the product as a reward for themselves, or someone is going to buy the car because they want to project certain values or they want to show that they appreciate the way something's made. So actually these kind of personal human aspects, they don't really change so much, but you're just trying to guess how will I fulfill those expectations in five years' time. And how will you? We'll find out if we did it right. Um, This is really difficult to say. I guess when we start, we just have a... Designers almost somehow exist in this you always wish you were in tomorrow or tomorrow's tomorrow. So for us, it's not necessarily that you're having to transport yourself five years into the future. You're already thinking, oh, well, I know I could do this and this and better today. So it's actually a a chance to release all of those things that you want to improve rather than a necessarily having to research a trend. There's a lot of, I say, almost inward focus within the company of how can we improve ourselves and for sure we're a company that can discuss things with clients and it's such an exclusive product that there's not a huge number of people that you actually have to discuss it with to have a very good overview of the customer base so we do get all of these influences but as the designers you're focusing more on it as a artistic endeavor or how can basically metal that has been folded into a certain shape evoke an emotion. And I guess that's actually our speciality. The process that you're speaking of there and the kind of projecting into the future is also in Rolls-Royce married with an extraordinary history. So how does the philosophy of Rolls-Royce play into what features in the new ghost? So for me, I always like to think of these these two characters of Rolls and Royce. And Rolls was the the really young record-breaking aviation pioneer and a bit of a showman. And Royce was the, yeah, 
like absolute perfectionist engineer that wanted to drive everything a little a little bit better every time and would probably have never finished anything if he could have his own way because he just always wanted to improve it. So I think blending that little bit of theatre of the roles character and also the the more fun to drive aspect, I think that really speaks to him. And then everything we've done with the chassis and the technology and the steering, yeah, hopefully somebody like Royce would be would be impressed with this. Five intensive years of examining the present and crafting the future has had an undeniable impact on the designers and engineers charged with rebuilding the new ghost. What did they extract from the experience, professionally, but also personally? Let's hear from all of our designers. First, here's Chris. On my mood boards, what I had was products that have stood the test of time over the last 20 years. I'll give you a reason why I have those products. It's because very quickly we take our latest tech and then five years later we throw it in a drawer and then a year later we might look at it, open the drawer and go, wow, that looks old. Because that's how quick tech can age. So how can we look at products that don't age and I think you have to approach design like that if you want longevity and you want it to keep looking modern. And I think it's a responsibility as a designer to design something in a sustainable way that keeps looking modern, not just purely for aesthetics, for the customer. But you've got a duty as, as a designer to keep this kind of modern look as, as long as you possibly can. How do you do that exactly? How do you ensure that something maintains its longevity while also feeling state-of-the-art? One of the big things we did on Ghost was give the details space to breathe. So you look at a Rolls-Royce interior and it's always got enough space between all of the elements. If you move them 10 centimetres closer to each other, all of a sudden it creates like a tension, a sort of subtle um, friction of why is that so close to this? Everything's given space to breathe. Everything is placed strategically where it should be. And... That might sound simple, but when you've got a very complicated structure with all of the airbags, all of the safety requirements that go into a modern vehicle, then as a designer, you're saying, "Um, sorry, but it needs to be two millimetres higher. You know, you have to fight these fights because if you don't fight these fights and you let things be placed wherever they may fall, then you will lose this minimalist feel. You'll encroach on other elements within the interior. And maybe you don't know why you don't like it, but it's there. And there's a reason why something's creating kind of friction and creating stress. And it's that that as designers or interior specialists, we always need to focus on. And here's Sina again. Did you learn anything surprising about yourself over the last five years, given how multi-layered this project was? So many different facets of your personality must have been tested. I think it all turned us into a pretty annoying perfectionist. Um, I think there is this point when working for Rolls-Royce when you can't do any different in, anymore and it spreads out in your private life. Like when you have to buy a sofa, for example. It makes everything really complicated because you have this mindset of a perfectionist but have to handle it on a normal day. And with me... Everything I do and everything that I have to touch or if I have to furnish my apartment or if I have to write a Christmas card, it has to be done in a perfect, perfect way. So in essence, you adopted parts of the new ghost personality. 
What other qualities of the car folded into your life? I think I learned how to cleanse my mind. And it is interesting because when you design a product, of course, you become aware of things in your life. And so I try to calm myself down a lot more and try to be and live as minimal as possible. And it is always like when you do all this research about a certain topic or or product, then you really start to understand it and to love it. And um, I think this is what I adapted to myself. Are there any reflections about ways of working or the Rolls-Royce approach? What we have also learned with this project is that we never let go. And if you're confident of of a feature and a design, then you have to fight for it over and over and over again. And sometimes it looks incredibly effortless what the customer can see at the very end when he looks or when he or she looks at the whole interior. But I do compare our design always to a ballerina because she looks incredibly light and is in the air probably 80% of the time. But inside of her, you can see every muscle working 150%. So this is probably what you can see within our interior as well. It's beautiful, calm and relaxing and elegant. But we have had a lot of struggles with it. So you don't let anything show, though? No, we try. (laughs) Yeah. Finally, let's reconnect with Henry to understand how this project has shaped his perception of his role. When you're studying, you learn lots of things about design. But when you're actually working, you realize a huge amount of your job is actually with people, let's say. So that's communicating an idea that doesn't exist yet, which is always quite funny. So you're trying to explain something, whether it's a surface to a modeler and one of you starts picking up a business card and twisting it, or you're trying to always explain something that doesn't exist yet. So this interpersonal skills and communication skills I think you get better and better at and also just that you have to bring all of these different disciplines together and I think as a designer okay you might be a specialist in making something look good but actually there's a huge number of specialists in the company that know far more than I would ever know about how you make something out of metal or how leather is put on a surface or how regulations are changing so you have to work with all of these different people and understand all of these different requirements and bring them together. So I think this, yeah, having a wide, I'd almost like social view of how everybody's working together. Actually, this you learn and learn and learn and you realize all of these pieces visually fit together as they should. And that only happens if you manage to get all of the people working together as they should. But on a personal level, I also can't help but think that You're a young designer and you now have, to your name, a new model for Rolls-Royce. That must also feel like quite an achievement. Yeah, it does. And I think it doesn't really ring true whilst you're working on it. The first two years of a project, we're really deeply involved because at this time you're still sculpting the car, as it were. But then it disappears for almost two years of your life. It's being really in-depth engineered or it's being tested all around the world. And then suddenly there's this day where you meet it again and that's the bit where you sort of pinch yourself when you walk into a photo studio somewhere and something you've sketched years beforehand is now looking you in the face. And for you, what's the most unusual concept that's made its way into the new car? 
I think for us, there's something with the doors that we're quite happy with. So it's something that people always probably wanted before and we had feedback of why couldn't it do it and now it can. So I think that will make people smile when that's there. Are you able to reveal some more on that or do we have to wait and see? I think it might be a wait and see. The process of designing the new ghost for the future was a complex alchemy. Designers were tasked with distilling cultural movements and making instinctive creative decisions. They sought out solutions which balanced company process and engineering capability with their own artistic vision. And most surprisingly, they issued trend reports and instead relied on empathy to predict the human condition. Join us for the next episode, when we switch gears and ask, in a world obsessed with multitasking and hyperproductivity, what is the value of dedicating your career to just one thing? I'm Johanna Agerman-Ross, design editor and curator, and this is Ghost Stories. Hi, I'm Henry Cloak from the design team of New Ghost. A quick endnote for our listeners. If you'd like to find out more, please contact your nearest Rolls-Royce dealership.